Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are joining us today on My Turning Point, where my special guest is Judas Priest frontman Rob Halford. I met up with the metal god at the Sunset Marquee Hotel, Bar 1200, to talk about his new Christmas album. Yeah, you heard that right, Christmas album. Why the similarities he sees between music and sports, Marilyn Manson, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. All right, so the premise of, of the podcast, yes. since we're on a tight schedule, right. is called My Turning Point. Okay. And it's a normal interview, except for the fact that it starts with the guest artist okay. choosing a turning point moment in their life. Oh, okay. So for you, and we build off that. So for you, mm-hmm. and again, it's funny, because like I had Robbie Robertson on last week. What did Robbie say? Robbie picked, you know, meeting up with Ronnie Hawkins when he was 16. Oh, wow. But so for so many of you, there are these moments that just, yeah. you know, okay. too many. Yeah. Well, I've got one. <laughs> cool. What's yours? The very first band I ever saw play live was a British pop group called, see if you remember this band, Dave D, Dozy, Beekeep, Mick and Titch. No, you you you, you stumped, stumped me. I've stumped you. What? I've stumped f- you. <laughs> I don't even know how to Google that name. Well, you should Google it because they were a pop band from the UK in the early 70s, late 60s. And they were huge. Dave D went on to be a big A&R guy at Atlantic Records, I believe. Um, but... I, at the time, was working at the Grand Theatre Wolverhampton. Gosh, how old was I? 15, 16. And I snuck into this club. It was called the Silver Web Club, which some years later I saw Free play there with Paul Kossoff and Paul Rogers. So, but seeing that band play live for the very first time at that age and to see them on stage with all of their outfits and their instruments and the noise that they were making and more importantly the reaction that they were getting was just a turning point for me. And it's funny, you know, because I think one of the cool things as an artist, especially the more artists I talk to, you know, you go through cycles of that fandom, but for you, I'm sure that, you know, there are still moments when you're on stage where you think back to being that 15, 16 year old and the response of the crowd and still feel it yourself as if you were that age. Absolutely, that never leaves you. And I think if it does, that's a kind of a sad place to arrive at. I still get a buzz and I still get a tingle before I walk out on stage. I never walk out on stage feeling completely calm until the moment I step foot on stage and then I'm, I'm home. It's home from home for me. But the apprehension and the preparation and everything else that goes into getting yourself ready for work is um, important. And I, I always kind of count my blessings that I do have to dress up that for me is kind of like a ritual, like a football player putting their stuff on, you know, mm-hmm. or a baseball, whatever. I always, I always make a bit of a 
comparison between rock and roll and sports because it has a lot of similar characteristics. But yeah, so when I walk out on stage and always with Priest, and I look at I look in the crowd, and it frequently crosses my mind that there's a, a young metalhead right up the front going crazy, doing the air guitar and holding the <laughs> the air mic, and I'm I'm like maybe they're maybe they're going to be up here, you know, in ten years time or whatever. That's interesting. Over the years, have you talked to many artists who who had that experience of seeing Priest as a kid? I'm sure there are a few. I don't know how many well, of them you've gotten I'm, to meet, I'm though. Gonna, I'm going to kind of push the boat out here because I, as you get older, you, you kind of make things up. <laughs> 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 but my friend Marilyn Manson always tells me this story about when he was 16, he went to see Judas Priest. I think that was around Screaming for Vengeance and in Florida. And that, that was one of the first records that he really got into, him and Twiggy. Um, so that's that's great, you know. And and uh, I'm sure somebody from Metallica will, will tell a different story and, and from Slayer, a similar story, and from Slayer, Megadeth. Um, we've all got a bit of a, you know, moment there where we were introduced to each other through generally a live performance or buying a cassette or a record or whatever. Now, I'm trying to think though, none of them, as far as I know, have ever done a Christmas record. Ooh, Manson <laughs> should do one. <laughs> Why not? This is the joy of being a musician. Throw the blinkers off, what do you got to lose? Don't be afraid, you know, unless you really don't want to do it. Oh my, Celestial is so much fucking fun. Because I don't think anyone's ever thought to do it before, but it's a blast. It's the, the one prior to that was a record called Winter Songs that I did with the Halford Band. I had a lot of fun making that record, but internally I felt that there was another one waiting to be made as well. I didn't know when, I didn't know who with and how it was going to happen, but here we are oh, about 10 years later and um, I'm in a similar kind of place. It's funny, I mean, for you, you know, how do you know it's kind of the right time or that, or I guess I shouldn't say the right time, but how do you know when you have the time to take on something like this? Well, in this instance, it didn't really matter for me because I was away with Priest working on the Firepower record and touring. I left all of the record in the capable hands of Mike Exeter, a producer. Mike Exeter from Black Sabbath 13 times and many, many other great bands. And, um, he just went ahead with the guys, with my brother Nigel on drums, my nephew Alex Ian Hill, Bass God's son on bass, their two respective guitar friends, uh, Robert Jones and John Blakey, Sister Sue on Christmas Bells. <laughs> and, and I said, guys, just go and do it, you know, because you know what's at the heart of this record. It's all about you. I'm gonna put my voice on, but essentially it's all about you. It's about musicians that are not professional. They just come home from work, you know, get cleaned up, go and have a jam somewhere, maybe write a song, go in the studio, that kind of thing. This this really is like an homage to all of those, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of musicians 
that are in the same place. They're doing it for the pure love of the music, not to get a number one record or sell out Madison Square Garden. The complete, simple, organic experience of, of, of making music. Well, there's a couple directions to go in with that. And I think one, I imagine for you being around people like that, it brings back a lot of the fun. And it reminds you of those early days when it was, you know, when there wasn't a number one record to think about, when you were doing it just simply because, you know, before Judas Priest started headlining arenas and all of those things. Yeah, you know, we've got some money, but we've only got enough to either buy some food or buy some gas. Well, we've got to buy some gas, you know. <laughs> when, you, when you're going through those moments, they're vitally important in any kind of business. If there is no struggle, you, from my perspective, if there is no struggle, then you're not going to get very far. The struggle is very important to achieve success. You know, failing, falling down, all of that, you've got to do that. It's, it's really important in business. So, um, yeah, in between all of the, you know, the, the stress, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. But i got to say, I'm still having all of those fun times now, more so than ever, because I never knew I was going to be doing this so long. I just turned 68, you know. Wow. It's like that thing where they interviewed the Beatles and they said to Ringo, what are you going to do? And you go, oh, well, probably next year I'll, 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 do, I'll try and do a Liverpool accent. So like, yeah, you know, maybe like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> Scottish. Uh, anyway, he alluded to the fact that, he alluded to the fact that he would probably open a hairdressing salon or something of that nature, you know. Music is one of the most fickle businesses to be in because it's all about the public and you have no control over the public whatsoever. You might think you do, but this is the thing about music. It's such a pure emotional contact source. You can't mess with people. They either like it or they don't. So for me to be here 68 years later releasing this Celestial album and to be getting ready for a 50th anniversary tour with Priest is just mind-blowing. Well, now, quickly, since you mentioned the Ringo thing, he was going to open a hairdressing salon. What would you have done if you had stopped <laughs> making music 40 years ago? It's final time. <laughs> you know, I worked in a menswear shop before I, before Priest was professional. Okay. You know that? No. What, what size hat would you like, sir? <laughs> what? I think this color suits you, sir. I was doing that. I was doing that just before... I often say there was there's a there's a kind of a cult story that Christopher Guest and some other of the guys came to see Priest play. That was the impetus for the Spinal Tap story. So I had, I'm sure they had no idea that I worked in a menswear shop in advance of this. But talk about art imita life imitating art, <laughs> vice versa. It's just crazy. But what what would I have done? I don't know. I mean. When I left when I left school, my my real desire was to get in the acting profession. That was a real thing for me, um, and so I'm kind of fortunate and grateful that I had the opportunity to work in theatre for a couple of years to make to get me to make my mind up about whether that was going to be the direction or whether it was going to be music. Thankfully, it turned out to be music. You know, that's fascinating in and of itself because I mean, you know, first of all. 
as as a musician, you're on stage and you're performing every night. So there is that semblance, and there's so much crossover between music and acting. But it's funny because this just popped in my head because I saw the Springsteen film last night, Western Stars. You know, and I'm a huge fan, uh, my favorite artist of all time. And he's talked about the fact that you know when you get to that level of fame. You are, in a sense, playing a character. I mean, certainly you look at Elton John, who wasn't born Elton John. And, you know, so it's interesting. Do you feel like, in a sense, that, you know, Rob Halford, the, the front man of Judas Priest, is a little different? And I say that only for the sense of maybe it did, in a sense, you have gotten to sort of fulfill both loves for the last 50 years. You change when you walk out on stage. You become a different person. It's just very hard to describe. You know, many years ago, the fans started to call me the metal god. And that's, that's who I am when I walk out on stage, you know. Um, when I'm off stage, I'm a different guy. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit like that sitting here with you today at the Sunset Marquee because we're talking about rock and roll and, and so forth. But um, when I'm back home in England or back in, in Phoenix, pushing my trolley, I always <laughs> use this as a, as a thing, pushing my buggy around the, the shopping, you know, <laughs> some eggs and some milk and all that. Thank God I can make that separation and difference because some, some of my friends can't. They can't leave the house, you know, and mm-hmm. it must be terribly difficult to be in that kind of cocoon all the time. So you do, there is a, there is a fine step, you know. I, I had a little moment with Mickey Rourke in the Spawn movie that I loved. When you're making a video, there's a little bit of acting going on, Turbo Lover, Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, um, Painkiller. You, you, the character, the, you become a character extensions of the music. So you have to kind of put a different head on when the cameras are rolling. It is interesting taking it back to Celestial for a second. And I mean, it's funny because when you have a nickname like the Metal God, you know, there is a certain reputation to live up to. Like Ozzy, for example, doing, um, you know, the Osbournes. And I've known Ozzy for years and interviewed him many times. But, you know, I think it's something, do you find that as you get older, you're more comfortable with just being who you are. And it's like, for example, you know, when you were 25, could you have thought of putting out, you know, winter songs? No, no, you're absolutely right. I think, I think that's just the thing about getting older. You, give, you don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you're younger, you still prob- you probably don't, but there's like, got to keep in the box a little bit, you know, because if you really don't give a fuck and you do this, you will fuck it up, you know, <laughs> even if that might be your own personal thing. But when you're in a band, you're always thinking about everybody else, which is what you should do. Um, so, yeah, when you get to this place, you know, I'm doing what I want. I'm the metal god. You know? <laughs> nice. So what's the one Christmas song you haven't done yet that you would love to do? Oh, that's a good question. I think most of the great classics have been done, if I include the material from Winter Songs and Celestial. Oh, no, there's probably... It's probably some more. I, I did see one the other day, um, which is a little bit, I was going to say maudlin, you know what that means, a bit maudlin. Yeah. Um, it's um, something winter, in the dark, in the cold, dark winter. In the da, 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 da. Um, uh, that's, that's kind of, a, kind of a, a, a sweet song. But I don't know, I, I had a lot of fun with the guys writing these original tracks, um, Donner and Blitzen, Morningstar, um, uh, the last track, Protected by the Light. We only, did we only write three? I think it was three, wasn't it? Um, 
So that, that that's nice. I mean, that's that's nice to think that you've made an original contribution to the Christmas roster because we've been talking about this earlier on today. When you think of Christmas music, who do you who are the who are the five instant Christmas music people that you think of as far as songs? Bing Crosby first. I don't know. I don't think of uh, Neil Diamond just because I was born Jewish, so it cracks me up that he did Christmas songs. <laughs> Uh, David Bowie, because I associate him with Big Crosby. Yes, Little huge. Drummer Boy. Which, which, I, which I hear he hated doing that. With, with the rumor is that he well, didn't Well, it, like- it's Springsteen, because as I mentioned, you know, my number one, Santa Claus is Coming to Home. Yes. And what I was going to get to earlier was the fact that, you know, he does, he does still bust that out around the holiday season. So will we see you with Judas Priest do any of these <laughs> holiday songs? I think it's inevitable. The, the the fact is that if we do songs from this record, I want to do it with the band because that's the whole heart of the project and with my family and friends, you know? So I, I need to do that first before I even think about doing that track or these, these, particular, these particular songs with, with, with my other friends in the business. But yeah, it's it's those people that you mentioned. And you Mariah too. Carey, George yeah, Michael, Paul McCartney, Slade, Roy Woods Wizard, um, you know, Twisted Sister, <laughs> <laughs> my friend D. You know, um, there's only a handful, isn't there, when you think about it? Uh, and they're there every year. It's, be- it's, it's like they've become an extension of the Christmas meal. Yeah. You know? Um, so... Yeah, and it goes back to when I was a little kid and we would, we would always have music around the holidays. So to have the opportunity to do this again and to give somebody a little bit of a respite from all of the other music songs, <laughs> the Christmas songs that happen, is a good feeling. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. I just love the idea now, though, and especially in this day and age of social media. I hope people post videos of the family rocking out to these songs after That's dinner. a great idea. I'm going to put. I'm going to <laughs> steal your idea. Well, I won't steal it. I'll mention that you've mentioned it. That 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 they do that. I would that, love to see. You know, I, I love I love all this contact that you have. It's a little bit precarious because suddenly you're best friends with somebody, and I am best friends with every fan that has ever been to a pre-show or got a record or whatever. You be you that our metal maniacs, as we call them, are kind of like the extended family group, but. It's it's a bit of a precarious tightrope because suddenly they're standing at the top of your drive, as <laughs> has happened to me, and I have to get my other half, Thomas. Can you say thank you? But he's not in or something. <laughs> so that that other side of the social media um, is is a little bit, you know, not that that's predominantly in your mind, but. It's an awareness that you have to have, you know? Well, it's funny because, I mean, Brandon Boyd from Incubus was just on the show. He's a friend. And we were talking about that. They started in the 90s. So well after you guys, but still early enough that they didn't deal with the whole social media thing. And he's an, of an age like me, like you, where you grew up, where rock and roll had a mystique about it. So it's a very weird concept. And it's interesting to hear you, how much you've embraced it. Because I think for a lot of people, it's, it's still, you know, when you've grown up at a certain period you know, you think of music having that mystique. So it's a weird concept to think that people are like, and fans today, some of them are great and some of them are fucking weird. And if you don't write back, they're like, well, wait, what's wrong with you, you know? It's very, very true. And this mystique thing, when the internet was invented, I, I thought, oh God, this is going to be, 
a du- totally a double-edged sword. It's going to be a shitstorm on the one side and it's going to be great on the other side. The mystique area, I couldn't agree with you 100%, more than 100%. And I'm, I'm still like that now. Don't let me see the celestial artwork floating around <laughs> on the internet before we all agree that that's what should happen. It's like leak, 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 you know, somebody trying to be clever. I know that when Celestial drops, as soon as he drops, it'll be on the fucking internet, you know, and that's just yeah. nothing I've got, I've got no control over it. Um, it costs a lot of money to make this record. <laughs> kind of pay the bills. Uh, but the mystique, yeah. And it's been interesting watching my friends from Tool go through that. How many years did nobody knew what Tool looked like? You know, Minded would go and serve drinks after a show and I've got a clue, you know. And all that's gone now, that, that, that mystique of, you know, the day the music died. Yeah. It didn't exactly die, but some of it did, you well, know. It's so interesting that we're talking about this in the bar at the Marquee and literally you're flanked on two sides by a picture of Bowie and a picture of Jimmy Page. Wow. You know? I've got a great Jimmy Page story. Okay. Two great Jimmy Page stories. First time I ever met Jimmy Page was in a helicopter flying to Rock in Rio because <laughs> I threw a bitch fit and said, I'm not driving because the traffic sucks. So I was, I was with Iron Maiden at the time with the Halford Band and, 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 and uh, Maiden's manager, Rod, said, okay, you can have my spot on the, on the helicopter. I said, oh, no, 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 you've got it now. Be quiet, don't be a diva, get on the helicopter. So they come and get me from my room, put me in the helicopter and there's nobody in there. It's just three seats, there's nobody in there. I'm sitting there. And then the helicopter, this is by the hotel, the helicopter door opens and this guy gets in. It's fucking Jimmy Page. <laughs> so I'm like the fanboy, draw job, because I played that Led, those first Led Zeppelin albums till the, the vinyl wore out. And he's there with his lady friend. And he goes, hey, Rob, I hope you don't mind me coming on the... I hope you don't mind. It's Jimmy fucking Page, man. So in the brief time that we were with each other, he was so... Great, great, great. We'd be yelling at each other above the helicopter, but and he'd gone there to auction one of his guitars. He does a lot of work in Brazil. So so there was that. And then the next time I see him, he came to a pre-show in London, and it was at a venue where you got out the car and you ran past all the fans to the stage door. And as I'm running and I'm running, as I about to get to the stage door, this hand comes out and I push it out the way and I run inside. And then Thomas comes, he goes, do you realise you just blew off Jimmy Page? I'm like, what the fuck? He goes, that was Jimmy? Oh, God, please go and find him. And he came in. I said, Jimmy, he goes, Rob, it's a day at the office. I know what the deal is, you know. So those are my my two Jimmy Page stories. The only David Bowie story I have is that I saw him play at a local venue in Wolverhampton, which is not too far from my home, Walsall. I saw him as Ziggy Stardust... Um, two or three days before he killed Ziggy off at the London Hammersmith Odeon. And the last time we played Wolverhampton Civic Hall many, many years ago, I was looking at the balcony. I said, whoever's standing in that place there, that's where I stood in 19 blah, 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 and looked down from that point to this point. But it wasn't me. It was David Bowie standing at this <laughs> spot. So it's great. You have the, the, the longer you live, the more rock and roll stories you get. Thank the Lord. All right, so 50th anniversary tour, because we got to wrap up in a second. I mean, I talk about this with artists, like I've talked about it with Metallica, Eddie Van Halen, sometimes it's difficult, but for artists who have such a long career, especially in the day and age of streaming, it's fascinating to look at. 
What three Judas Priest songs would you pick as the entryway for fans who are just starting to get into the music of Judas Priest? And as I say, some people can't answer that question. Uh, Victim of Changes from Sudwings of Destiny, Painkiller from the Painkiller album. And for a bit of kind of fun, I would say Turbo Lover from the Turbo album. <laughs> Victim of Changes because it's got every kind of bit of metal in the core of its essence. It's got the dual guitars, the screaming vocals, the breakdown, the quiet bit, the crushing ending. It's got so many components of metal in that one song. Painkiller because it rips the skin off your face. And then Turbo Lover because you can kind of dance to it. So those three. Cool. And I, I lied. I'm going to sneak in one question. But it's interesting to me because I think, you know, as you talk about as you get older, you have more rock and roll stories, right? Mm -hmm. As you get older, you also have more memories, things to draw upon, more experiences. Are there particular pre-songs that you love to go back and play now because you almost hear them from an outside perspective. You've changed so much as a person that you can kind of hear them as a fan or that you are surprised by how relevant they still stay to your life. Um, I would say, again, going back a ways, probably like a song like Breaking the Law, just because I think it's, the, the content of the message is still as valuable and important now as it was when it first came out, which was kind of, a shitstorm going on in, in the UK with politics and strikes and this, that and the other. So that one um, is the one that kind of instantly jumps to mind. I never, I never get tired of doing that. All those other three that I've mentioned, but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of an essence of that track that, that is really important, yeah. Cool, what do you want to add that we didn't talk about? We did a lot, didn't we? We did. I can talk for hours and hours and hours, but I <laughs> thank, thank you for covering uh, the main points. Uh, I, I hope everybody enjoys Celestial. Um, I'm going to sell, my, sell something now. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I would love to see Celestial be top of the Billboard holiday charts, holiday music charts, uh, because it's made by a met metal god. It's made by a gay metal god. It's made by a 68-year-old gay metal god and his family. So let's get it to number one. Wait, There's wait, your wait. task, listeners. Well, I love you. This reminds me of Love Actually, you know, yeah. in the movie. Okay. Did, you, did you see the movie? I must have said, God, I've seen so many movies. But Bill Nye, so it's a very famous holiday movie. And in the movie, Bill Nye, he is competing with Mariah Carey or Elton or someone for Rod Stewart or someone for number one. And he says that if the song goes to number one, he will go on live TV and perform the song naked. Does he? I believe he does. So what? I what, love Bill Nye. Hey. What? Oh, it's, I'm it's, not an actor. It's a classic movie. So what? What are you offering listeners <laughs> if it goes to number one? <laughs> I was going to say go <laughs> Nike, but I think I've been naked on many occasions, <laughs> um, not in public. Oh yeah, a few times in Mykonos, <laughs> Black's Beach in San Diego. I'm, I'm amazed that there aren't any naked pictures of me on the internet because if you go to those places there's always like a paparazzi there or something um, so I've done that oh I don't know what, what, can you think of anything yeah um, I think that if it goes to number one in the US you have to number one you see I would love it to be number one I'd be happy with like top three top five okay so if it goes top five on the holiday charts I think then I mean in this day and age the way that things are you should do, a, 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 the band should do a live concert online and take requests of the holiday songs people want to hear. Or, 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 since we talked about the videos, 
you invite people into the Halford family holiday dinner online. I like that idea. Online. Oh, that's that, that's great. So I don't have to buy them an airline ticket. I can just put my phone <laughs> at the table and we can just, you know. See, so you hear it here. Now, you know, I'm, now I'm eating some. My turning point. We're, we're also, we're doing marketing. It's not just interviews anymore, you know. It's a bit of everything. That's what you've got to be so multifaceted and multitasking these days. Well, I was just approaching from the standpoint of what I would want to see as a fan. And having seen Judas Priest in 1983 at the Long Beach Arena, which, by the way, I was just talking with Tim Ryan, who ran the Long Beach Arena for many years, now does CEO Honda Center. There was the gnarliest fight in that audience. And we were laughing about, we don't know what the fuck people were so aggro about, but I re always remember that show. Cause it actually, sorry, it was 84, I think, Screaming for Vengeance. And it was like, there was a big old fight in the crowd at the end. So we do recall that. I don't know if you guys ever see that when you're from the stage. Probably see a lot of stuff from the stage. And, and I, I distinctly remember that show because we were staying at the Queen Mary. Nice. Long Beach on the, on the hotel, at the hotel. And I, I was awake all night at the back of the Queen Mary with Glenn Hughes doing line after line of coke <laughs> and s competing, having like a singing contest. Who what? Until all night. It was like all fucking night. I had no idea until somebody said, we're leaving now, we've got a flight to catch you or something. All night. Wait, okay. I, I know we got to wrap up because we got another interview, but I have to ask quickly because I just did a story on Queen Mary and I live in Long Beach now. And maybe this is an inaccurate question because you were doing a shit ton of blow. But did you have any ghost stories? Because, you know, the Queen Mary is very famously haunted. Or could you not tell because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think if anybody anybody had looked at us through the back end of that ship and seen two rockers doing lines of blow, creating this haze and this mist, that's good enough for them going, oh my God, there's a couple of ghosts doing blow <laughs> at the back end of the Queen Mary. Well, you know, they do the Dark Harbor Haunted Maze, I feel like. And, and Have all you done their, that? I, I'm doing it next week, but all their mazes are based on real stories. So I'm now going to tell them that story and they could have the rockers <laughs> doing coke on the ship as a, you know, as a maze. There I love go. this. Dude, we're just rolling with the ideas today. Absolutely. And I feel like I don't know how many of them are good, so it's a good time to stop. But thank all you right. so much for being here, thank man. You. This it's was fun. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much, everybody. Cool. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for being here today on My Turning Point, where we were joined by Judas Priest frontman, metal god, overall rock icon, Rob Halford. And I hope that you will make Celestial part of your holiday party gathering, because you really can't have a more rockin' Christmas than hanging out with Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Thanks. Sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept and to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed Queen now only $19.99, only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.
When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theeyecenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.